This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to On The Bench. I'm Zach Blostein, joined here by my buddies, Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee. It's Clemson week, fellas. You know, we did the, the podcast earlier in the week, but we're getting closer to game time. Um, it's time to reconvene and, and talk about some things. Um, first off, let's pay some bills. Brendan, who is on the bench brought to you by? Starting off, Chattanooga Whiskey, uh, one of my favorite distilleries out there. By far my favorite craft distillery. They do an amazing job with pretty much everything that they, they attempt to do. Bourbon, castoring bourbon, rise, experimental, finishing, all sorts of cool stuff. Chris, I'm bringing a single barrel bottle of their 111 up to Atlanta, uh, North Georgia for our Clemson trip. So we'll partake in that this weekend, maybe. So yeah, Chattanooga Whiskey, do an amazing job. You can find them all throughout the Southeast, sealbacks.com if you're trying to get an order uh, somewhere else remotely. Uh, yeah, they, they do exquisite work and we're very lucky to have them as a sponsor. This podcast is also also brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty. Um, it's you know, the ultimate college football management game for PC available on Steam. I'm having a ton of fun with this game. You know, we talked about you know we talked about at length about this game. Um, I think I'm ten seasons in now with Georgia State finally getting uh, some you know momentum building on. I thought the, it was Tulane. I no that that was my last. Uh, Oh my God. Save. Now I started Georgia State, but now I'm on the hardest difficulty, which actually makes it really tough because the other schools get higher NIL boosts with recruits and transfer portal guys. So it's been a lot tougher, but um, it's super rewarding once you get kind of like past the the tough times and turn around the program. And, that, and that's where I feel like I am right now. So definitely um, check out fo- Football Coach College Dynasty on Steam, 95% positive rating on there. It's only eleven ninety nine. Can't be that, Chris. We're only a minute and a half in, and Zach's already off the script that I spent time working on. So that's good. I'm totally not. You got to put the teleprompter in front of him. I'm San reading Diego? the teleprompter. Okay, sure. All right, segment one. Oh, you are. That's my fault. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good job. Um, let's get into this week of practice, guys. Uh, I want to talk first with Brendan just about the early portions of this week, because obviously they're coming off that kind of surprising game 
versus Boston College a week ago. And, and you know, a lot of things showed up in that game that weren't great. Brendan, how do you think the response was on Tuesday, the first practice we were able to uh, view this week? The parts about the BC game that were concerning were the start and then the the response after you kind of had settled in and, and built that 21-point lead. Um, but but no need to re, relive that any further. We're, we're flush in BC. Really wanted to see how the team would respond. I think we talked about that on the Monday podcast, that we were very interested to see what FSU looked like at our first glance during that that Tuesday practice. And be totally transparent, and Chris can attest to to this, how I was, uh, <laughs> how it impacted me. But I I thought the... Tuesday practice was one of the more disappointing practices that I've covered here in the last year and a half or so. Uh, just from a, the energy was fine. Like it wasn't like guys were coming out, not, you know, bad body language, not trying. It's just like, it wasn't crisp. The execution wasn't what you would hope it would be in response to uh, that, that wake up call that we talked about potentially having against Boston college, especially on offense. Like I thought the offense just was not, you know, during one-on-ones, the, the skill players weren't winning a ton uh, during like install scout team stuff. We won't get into specifics there, but like it just, it wasn't crisp, but there was multiple times where just like the plays didn't look like they wanted them to. You could sense some frustration. Uh, I thought that way at the end of practice, like this just did not seem like a very clean practice for the offense. Uh, I would normally say like, maybe it was just the defense playing really well. Uh, but, but when the scout team defense is disrupting you more often, than you'd like, I think that's more indicative of, you know, one side of the ball. And then even coach Norvell's, uh, post-practice interview he's not normally abrupt or, or curt he's usually very uh he's really good with his time he's very generous with with his time after practices and I thought for him it was just a little out of character that he didn't seem to be super like you know loving all the questions and also there weren't a ton of questions to give to him either to be fair but it just he didn't seem like he was happy with the practice if I had to put on my like body reading, body language reading type of glasses there. Um, so anyways, it was not a really crisp practice. Tuesday didn't feel inherently good to me. Uh, it set up an interesting Wednesday practice, I guess, to kind of see how they would respond. Yeah, I thought energy was fine on Tuesday in the sense of like they came out and they did go to work. I just thought it was kind of a lack of coordination from an offensive standpoint. It never got in a rhythm. It, there was never a point where you're like, man, it's humming or – it's going like it should be. And it wasn't so much defense being disruptive. The defense was good, but it wasn't like the defense had a just ultra dominant day where they did not allow the offense to get off the ground. There were instances, for example, against scout team where the offense just held the ball or took a sack and that just shouldn't be happening. It's not something that's usual in those portions of the practices. Um, but they, they responded. I, I won't steal the thunder of your next question, but I felt like they responded pretty well Wednesday. Yeah, I guess Brendan, after watching the, I don't know if it's, if you want to call it a disappointment of a practice on Tuesday, how do you feel like, did things change on Wednesday? Did, did, did the, you know, the offense specifically function better? Yeah, at the risk of overanalyzing this topic here, uh, I thought that Tuesday was indeed disappointing. I was disappointed by it. Uh, and I thought the response on Wednesday was awesome. It was really good, uh, especially for the offense, Zach. Like, Jordan was and Jordan wasn't bad on Tuesday. It just like the whole thing itself, like just didn't seem like it was clicking. Uh, that was the exact opposite on Wednesday. It was one of the more crisp, uh, efficient, well-run offensive practices that we've seen. Like the one-on-one stuff, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson doing what they're supposed to do. And that's you know kind of your starting point. 
Uh, but Jordan was very sharp. Uh, you saw other guys getting involved. Destin Hill had a couple of really nice catches, not just like one component of it, but even like little things like, you know, during an install portion of, of the week or early in the week, like there was a time where coach Norvell was not really happy with the track that Trey Benson took, got on him for it. Later on, they ran a very similar concept and the track was extraordinary and it led to an explosive play. And that wasn't like a good on good type of setting too. Uh, and then just the scout team work. I think Chris was watching the offense at one point and just texted like, and I got to see later on, it was, he said crispy. And I was like, what does that mean? I think it was just a typo, but it was crisp is, is what Chris meant. Uh, and I was like, crispy in a bad way? Like, are they charred? Like, what's happening? Because uh, I was watching the defensive side of the ball. So, yeah, it was remarkably better. Uh, you know, when Mike Norvell goes like this, people watching on video, if we post it on YouTube with the, like the politician thumbs up after play, it means that they, that's installed correctly. That's good. We like it. And he was doing that a lot on Wednesday. He wasn't doing a lot on Tuesday. So, feel much better. Uh, it, it just, it felt right. Uh, that's probably the best way I can describe it. Crispy. Yeah, there, there was a general sense of urgency and that was true for both days. And it came across, especially from the coaches, but also some ways from the players and from leadership of the players. Um, but I thought Wednesday had both the sense of urgency and it looked like it should look, it, it went uh, good tempo, good rhythm. They really got into a rhythm, especially against scout team, which is what you want to see. You want to see stack plays go, reps, high rep count, keep going. You know, Norvell is always moving at hand in the background of like, yeah, next rep up, next rep up. They always want to be going at a high rate. And that didn't feel like it ever happened on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, it certainly happened. It was pretty enjoyable to watch when it did happen. And it just seemed like in general, like everybody was kind of on the same page, rowing the same way. And practices, you know, Prior to BC, they practiced well. So, like, the BC performance was surprising based off of a practice standpoint. But we've seen bad practices, not many of them, but a handful here and there leading up to games. And then the game doesn't reflect that. The game, they perform better. They play better. So, it doesn't always translate where bad practice turns into a bad game or great practice turns into a great game. Now, sometimes it does, but it does not always. Coming off this week of practices, I feel perfectly fine about how they've prepped for Clemson, where they are from a mental standpoint, where they are from a sense of understanding that it's a pretty significant game. It's a conference game. It's a road game. It's against an opponent that has beaten this program seven straight times. So, yeah, I, I think all of that was conveyed through the actions of how they handled practice and went about it. And the last thing I'll add is Mike Norvell has been all about the business this week. He was very short on Tuesday. Some of that was, I think, because of a product of the practice. But I think in general, the focus is just very simple. Like, yeah, you can ask him about how loud Clemson Stadium is and things like that. He doesn't care. This is about FSU going out and proving they're a really good football team and beating a really good football team. And that's all he gives a, you know, what about. Yeah, I was listening to the Jordan Travis interview on Wednesday, and I think we need to have like a bingo card every time he speaks because um, it, it seems like he's always saying it's, it's about us, um, yeah. not about the opponent. Uh, he's going to find a way to – to throw that line in there. Um, but speaking of Clemson, let's get into he, a little bit. Real quick, he is right. Like it, like yeah. if FSU handles its business, there's not a whole lot of teams that are. But that's been the that's been yeah. The BC forever. didn't play FSU well. FSU played BC poorly in stretches, and that's why that scoreboard looked like but, it did. FSU gave them a touchdown, and they set them up for another, and that's why the scoreboard looked like. If FSU played, so it's 31-10. If FSU plays like FSU can play, it's a blowout. They did it. Yes, but also Thomas Castellano played his butt off too. Like it yeah, but BC did it. BC's not very good. No, they're not. They're correct. Uh, they're I'll not go to good. my deathbed believing that. We flushed BC. We flushed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to Clemson. Yeah, we're on to Clemson. 
opponent preview. There won't be a null thy enemy this week as a member of the Draper family is giving birth. So congratulations. Probably more information. Uh, uh, well, I didn't. The good news I'm not is it's not Dane. Family member. I'm just <laughs> Dane. Why. Dane is not giving birth, guys. Um, oh my god. <laughs> Dane, I had nothing to do with this other than just explain I on the back end why we weren't going to know. Give a nice and congratulations. And congratulations to the Draper family. Go be a great uncle, Dane. You've got oh, high level. Oh you have God. high level uncle material to you. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, I want weatherman Sonone to get in here first. Oh God, there was I'm another, so tired of weather. There was another like storm heading up that way, right towards like the well, Carolina. Look at my weather notes. Is this going to be an equally beautiful day to that Boston College game where we worried about all dying from Hurricane Lee? Yeah, that wasn't a beautiful game or day. That was dreary and just. It was very know. clear and nice once the game kicked off, buddy. Nobody cares about what was it was it? like at 10 a.m. Yes, it was. It was. It was not clear and day. nice. That's bullcrap. Yeah. That's not for, true at for all. Massachusetts? Hell yes. It I don't know. We were great on the New they would, England. They would take that day like school. 90 times in the winter. Clemson is going to be, knock on wood, pretty fine uh, weather wise. There is a. A storm. I think it's like a tropical depression or something right now. Maybe I don't think it's a tropical storm, but there's something brewing. It is going up the Atlantic coast, uh, but it's stayed east. It hasn't moved in uh, and tucked in like as much as they thought it would. So basically, it's going to impact a lot of portions of North Carolina, Virginia. It uh, doesn't seem like southwestern South Carolina is going to be an issue. So uh, the drive into Clemson, South Carolina will probably be a bit of a you know what show, given that it's at noon and. Uh, there might be some rain, and, and it'd probably be a little windy, but it's not going to be awful. But uh, going into the, the one-horse town that is Clemson will probably be a little problematic for us, but that's not here nor there. Uh, weather should be fine. It won't impact the game as much as uh, this past weekend because uh, it wasn't clear. It was definitely windy and rained on and off at times before the game. So, But it was quite it's, nice, actually, during the football game. It was nice after the game. I'm not going to – it was not nice during. If you saw the punts get taken a few times or a couple of Jordan's passes get sailing past – whatever. What are we talking? Go ahead, Zach. I don't I've know been in Massachusetts at a football oh game when it's raining Chris sideways. Come rails. on. Come on right. now. Chris, let's reel yes. you in here. Um, what does Clemson's offense look like this year? Well, you know, it's weird. I, I So, watched the Duke game in real time, and it looked pretty bad, to be perfectly honest. Will Shipley is always going to be the dude, and Will Shipley's a really good football player. Very well established what Will Shipley can do to Florida State. Uh, Phil Moff has become more of a piece of the pie for them. He's their second running back, a little bit more power, uh, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of running style compared to Shipley's versatility. Their passing game against Duke wasn't very good. A lot of stuff out to the flats, a lot of quick throws. It just did not feel like they were capable of getting vertical, of getting explosive. Now, the offenses looked better the last two weeks. They played Charleston Southern and then FAU, Florida Atlantic, over the last two weeks. So is it a product of – the new offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, and this offense kind of getting on the same page and getting a little more comfortable. And Kate Klubnick feeling comfortable as a quarterback in that offense of doing what he can do. And they still obviously have talented players, skill on the outside. Maybe not to the level we're used to at Clemson in the last decade, but it's still capable guys. A guy like Antonio Williams, for example, is a talented receiver on the outside for them. Bo Collins is another one. Tyler Brown's kind of stepped up and become a guy. And then Jake Brinningstool is a tight end for them who they like to use and is talented. All those guys are capable. But it I don't know if what I've watched watching the last two games versus the Duke game is because of the opponents or because the offense is finding its footing. If FSU wants to win, they need to slow down Shipley. I don't think they're going to – or Shipley. They're not going to 
stop him. I don't think Shipley's the kind of guy you stop. Too many things he can do where you're going to get him an opportunity to do something, whether it's running between the tackles, running off tackle, throwing it to him, getting him on a mismatch down the field. I think for FSU, it's more about take away the other pieces. Kind of like when you play a really good basketball team and they got a guy who's going to get 30, let him get his 30, but don't let the other guys get 10, 15, 20, and, you know, do it against you. To me, that's what FSU's defense needs to do. And obviously, bothering the quarterback would be a valuable asset as well. And as always is the case, win the turnover battle. But Clemson's offense to me is not a juggernaut, but I also don't think it's as bad as what I watched in the Duke game. I think it's somewhere in between those two. To me, like, I mean, we've seen what Will Shipley has done to Florida State's defense the past two games in this in this rivalry matchup. To me, it's it's about limiting him because I feel like every time Shipley runs the ball, he gets like a hard-earned six or seven yards. Like, they need to yeah. limit that to like three or four. You know what when, I mean? When like, you have it, an opportunity to tackle him, tackle him. Get him and there, I, I went and watched last year's game again, too, yesterday. Um it, it's funny that game yeah that game really did come down to that middle portion but there are a couple instances where Shipley does something where there was a opportunity for him to do very little to nothing on the play and FSU just didn't get the job done so you know you feel like you have a more talented defense at FSU this year you would hope they would be a better tackling defense than they necessarily have been through the first three games that's the key against Will Shipley you can't allow five yard plays to turn into 25 yard plays and so on and so forth. They, I think they do this a lot of game, inside. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Zach. I, I was just going to say, from a defensive scheme standpoint, I don't, I know nothing about what Florida State's going to do. But to me, I, I don't respect Clemson's receivers. Like, I, I don't think they're all that good. I think Antonio Williams is a high level guy, but they have not proven to me, like, even, like, even against FAU, I watched some of that game. They were playing on a lot of short fields. Um, because they had some nice punt returns, some turnovers and, and things like that. To me, like, I, I don't see why you need to s- sit in a too high shell. And I know that's a lot of what they run their defense through. But bring more guys in the box and, and stop Shipley. Because he's he's how this offense functions this year, in my opinion. The, the thing about Shipley and, like, the way that they're going to try to run the football, or at least what they've had through three games, is a lot of, like, inside zone stuff and that builds on some of the the rpo and, and play action concepts that uh is it garrett riley uh wants to wants to utilize so that puts like okay so you have to control the the line of scrimmage obviously like that's first and foremost always right like that that's a big part of it but like i think fsu's defense as much as we thought they weren't great last week against bc and traditional running back runs they only allowed 0.8 yards before contact that's actually really good like there was examples of guys getting blown off the ball and stuff, but like in general, this is a that's a strength for the defense. Really, what worries me is that second level defense, linebackers, and then safeties. Uh, Shaheen Brown and Kevin Knowles are two of the worst tackling safeties per Pro Football Focus in the ACC, both among the bottom ten. So like that that's where Shipley does a lot of his damage. Like yes, those harder yards you mentioned, Zach, that those are there for him, but he does a lot of like because he's so quick and shifty. Uh, a lot of bouncing outside. And Mike Gravel talked about that too when asked about him this week, like some of his strengths, what makes him so good. And it's like, you think you have him bottled up for three or four yards, and then like he bounces outside. So being gap discipline, uh, trust in your eyes. Again, that's the linebacker is going to be really important. And then when you get a clean shot at him, bring him down. Shaheen Brown, Kevin Knowles, uh, Akeem Dent, whoever's at safety, like Ashlyn Barker, whoever it is, like you have to make your, you have to make it count when you get to him and you rally to him. 
uh, because he is so explosive, it can make you miss. Like that to me is like the concerning part of the part that I'm watching. Can you slow him down? Early in the week, I believe <clears throat> both Adam Fuller and Mike Norvell mentioned went out of their way to mention that Cade Club, but Club Nick, God, I'm struggling with names this morning, is a uh, more impressive runner than the stats would say. And I, I think that's a fair assertion. He, he's a good athlete. He can also throw well on the move. Yeah. Obviously, FSU got eaten alive a week ago when a certain somebody did that that I'm no longer allowed to mention, according to Brendan Sinone. So do we think Clemson tries to get FSU basically slide in one side of field or the other with a little motion with their quarterback, or does Clemson kind of stick to who and what they are, which isn't that? Klubnik, he like watching him, like he is a good athlete. He's not like Castellanos or Jaden Daniels when they're like – those guys have more shiftiness to them. Klubnik is more of a – there's a window, there's a lane, and he takes it. Very and long he hurts speed. That way. Yeah. yeah, it's long speed. Um, so I think that's to more like with him that he can burn you. But absolutely, like that's built in. Like that's baked into their offense. Like he can do that. I think what's really interesting, like with him, and like how do you slow that guy down? Um, because there's a lot of talent. He's a former blue chip quarterback. Like he, but he's also inexperienced. And I think you see some of that. Like well, especially watching the Duke game. These last, like Mike Norvell talked about the last six quarters that Clemson's figured out. Seems like it, it's also been against FAU, which is probably below average G5 team. Yeah. And then who was it, the Citadel or Charleston Southern? No, Charleston, Charleston Southern. Southern. Who had a pick six against Clemson, by the way. I, I, Klubnik, to me, I'm going to pull up some numbers, but like watching him, it's like, it's funny. You see, like, okay, I think he's seen some ghosts here and there. Like, he just looks a little skittish. Then you watch him against lesser teams later on in the, the season. The season's only been three games. And you see a little bit of a quicker trigger and, and him being more decisive. So, it's funny to like that's what I'm watching, and you go and start try to back it up with stats. Uh, he's getting rid of the ball those last two weeks about a, a tenth of a second point, you know, a tenth of a second and change faster. Doesn't seem like a lot, but it's actually fairly significant over like a, a span of a game. Like you're talking about him, like on that average, like getting rid of it a little bit quicker. I think that's what they want him to do. That's what they're trying to to get him to do to run the offense with some of the RPO, like uh, some of the pull stuff that they're doing. Uh, at a higher rate, they want him to think a little bit less too. Because you see that when he gets gets under pressure, uh, he does start spinning a little bit. And every quarterback is not going to be as efficient under pressure as they are when they have a clean pocket. But like his his drop drop off is like pretty drastic. I thought I saw that against Duke too. Like when he has a clean pocket, like yeah, he's got a big arm. He can get the ball pretty much anywhere out downfield. Uh, then you throw in like the mobility, the ability to throw on the run, like it's all there. His passer rating with a clean pocket this season. 174.1 that's 30th nationally so very respectable for a young guy uh when he's pressured however that passer rating plummets to uh 67.1 uh, which is 93rd nationally so you're talking about the difference between you know above average quarterback to pretty well below average quarterback when pressured question is can florida state get pressure yeah do you, you so you're saying he panics basically i i've seen i saw that and the stats reflect that yeah he's not he's not quite I don't think it's a great wide receiving group as Zach alluded to. So I don't, I think there's not a, Hey, I can just throw up the ball. You're going to go get it type of dynamic. It has to be a lot of short stuff for him. It has to be quick releases. If not, there is some panic that we've seen early on in his career. Not yeah. crazy. He's young. But, on the yeah. receivers, they've had three different leading receivers through three different games. Bo Collins averaging about 15 per reception, but some of that's fluffed up by, I think about 70 yarder. I want to say against Charleston Southern catch and run for a touchdown. Uh, most of their longer plays from passing game standpoint are yards after catch aided plays, not necessarily yards through air kind of play. So, again, a lot of stuff thrown quickly out to the flats, shorter routes. Yeah. 
But if you miss a tackle, they're going to stretch your defense. They're going to make you play sideline to sideline defensively in the passing game. And if you're one-on-one and you miss a tackle, you know, a four-yard completion can very quickly become a lengthy completion. So I think that's where Clemson likes to put a strain on defenses. They force you to play to the middle with Shipley and Moffa to a lesser degree because he's very much a between-the-tackles type of guy. And then they'll stretch you to the sidelines with what they can do with some of their receivers and passing attack and how they go about calling the plays that they're going to run. Klubnik, by the way, uh, to the point of not pushing the ball downfield, is 88th nationally in throws of 20-plus yards through the air. So, again, below average. Um, that That's a thing right now. Let's move on to the defensive unit for Clemson. I think we all agree this is probably the unanimous better unit of the two on that squad. Chris, who are yeah. some guys that we should keep an eye on? Uh, really, they're good at all three levels. They, they went through some of the growing pains of last year to be a better defense this year. I think it's the best way I could put it, and that's especially true in the back half, the defensive back group. Uh, on the line, Xavier Thomas is entering his 18th year of college. Justin Maskell, also equally as much of a veteran. Those are your two DNs for them. Tyler Davis, plenty familiar to FSU folks. He chose them over us. Uh, Peter Woods, younger guy out of Alabama. That was a big win for them over the University of Alabama. He's more reserved D-tackle, but he plays uh, not quite starter level reps, but they use him a good bit. And then Rook is also there, who was there last year on the interior. That linebacker group, I think it's one of the better ones in the nation. Barrett Carter is an excellent football player, as is Jeremiah Trotter Jr., and then Wade Woodass, who's the older brother of Drew, who FSU recruited a little bit, both of them out of the Tampa area. They're the three guys in that group, and they can just get it done. And then that secondary, as I mentioned last year, a lot of those guys played a lot of familiar names. Jalen Phillips at safety. He's a graduate. He's played a good bit for them this year and played at a pretty high level. Nate Wiggins, Sheridan Jones, R.J. Mickens, Andrew Mukuba, who's another one familiar from recruiting and then they've had a couple of younger pieces start emerging in that group. Uh, Khalil Barnes, who's a freshman nickel that they've used. He plays kind of play, uh, similar to what Andrew does for them in that secondary. And Sherrod Koval Jr., who I believe is a sophomore. He's a reserve safety. He's kind of split duty some with R.J. Mickens. So they got a pretty nice deep group in that, that whole bunch. They haven't actually – it's kind of weird. Statistically, and statistics don't tell you everything about what they do defensively. They've not killed in the sack category. Now, tackles for loss, yeah, they're doing what they always do. Clemson, I think over the last 10 years, might lead college football in tackles for loss. If they don't lead, they're second to Bama. They've always been in that high-level category there. That's still true. That's like a staple of their defense. They are going to generate a lot of negative plays. But they're not racking up sacks so far this year. I think they have four through three games as a defense. And I think some of it is they're just kind of playing people straight up. They're they're not overly aggressive with pressure, right, from what I understand. And from watching a little bit of what they've done against opponents, it's more so if they win a one-on-one battle, they'll pressure you. But they're not going to bring extra bodies. So they're going to they're gonna leave a whole lot of bodies in that back half if you're trying to pass against them. And then in the run game, their linebackers are very talented, smart players who do a good job with run fits. So they're not going to allow a lot of busted plays. So in general, sound group, a lot of experience in that group, a lot of guys who have played a lot of snaps in the Clemson defense in that group, and it kind of shows. I have some concerns about being able to win in the trenches against this Clemson team. They've been pretty solid there, and Chris mentioned their linebackers. Like They have a really top-notch group of linebackers. So like, that's a, that's a group that could give you a lot of issues, and the secondary is a lot better than last year too um 
I did notice watching them against Duke a few times, like their linebackers get a ton of depth. I saw like one play where a guy dropped back like nine to 10 yards, a couple yards more than the normal. So like there's and, and Duke hit a tight end kind of slipping underneath. Uh, so there is something there to where like, I think you can maybe if they're going to, to try to play, you know, soft against Jordan Travis, uh, it's big for Jordan to take under underneath checkdowns. That's something I know the fan bases want to see. Uh, yes, you're going to have to hit your explosives. Clemson's one of the best teams in the country and not allowing explosives. Like when you have those opportunities, yeah. you're going to have to hit them, but uh, you're going to have to take what the defense gives you to, because this is a, an upper tier. I don't know if it's an elite defense, Chris, but it, it's a very good one. On the explosive point, they've allowed eight on the year. Five of those came against Duke. Part of the reason Duke was able to do that was the legs of Riley Leonard, whether it was running or throwing, he opened things up. I think more than we've seen Jordan Travis do three, through, do through three games, run the ball. He's got to decide to go north-south, get going, run some. I think it will open some things up, some opportunities. I think it makes their linebackers play a little bit different when quarterbacks start doing that. But, yeah, they don't give up a whole lot of explosives. It, it's funny, like – they, they don't and um like they're defensive so kevin like this is in the passing game kev pulled this up the other day uh and again it's like the the they haven't played a great slate so far so there's a lot of noise in these numbers but like their defensive uh expected points added per play uh basically uh when it's one to ten yards downfield is 0.1 which is first nationally they're as good as that as anyone and then over 20 yards it's 0.02 which is 21st nationally so uh they're Nothing, nothing really short that they give up a ton and nothing really deep. Uh, but a little bit of noise of those numbers is you look how Duke attacked them, that that one to 10 yard became uh, a negative for them, whereas 0.7 yards per play uh, EPA. So that was 73rd nationally. Uh, so Duke was able to do some things creatively underneath some like running back delays, some tight end delays, a lot of stuff where they had Clemson allow them to kind of either be super aggressive up front and find gaps there or the opposite of Clemson was conservative and and got too deep uh, on some of its zone drops, uh, you're able to hit it underneath as well. So it's a defense that can get got. Like, you can move the ball against them. Uh, I know we've talked about, like, that Duke game that Clemson gave up a ton in the red zone of, like, what they could have, you know, field goals and uh, turnovers where they had some missed opportunities. But Duke did as well. So you can move the ball on them. This isn't past years where I feel like it's this – a juggernaut of a defense it is a very good one uh maybe by the end of the year they can push to be elite but like right now i'm not seeing like an elite defense i'm seeing a good one with a lot of good athletes especially at that second level um and some of their interior defense alignment they've allowed just six red zone visits to opponents this year some of that's a little interesting with numbers because duke also hit some big plays where they scored from outside the red zone uh in those six red zone visits Three rushing touchdowns, one field goal allowed, two stops. So two out of three times opponents have scored against them in the red zone. Pretty good rate from a defensive standpoint for Clemson stopping. This is our know thy enemy, Zach. How do we do? <laughs> Great. Um, let's. You want to move to some buy or so known? Yeah, Brought I'm to you by the Turner Group. The Turner Group. Uh, do you guys have like neighbors that you don't like? Uh, or do you have a cell phone dead spot in your house like Zach does? Uh, yes. Colin Turner, the Turner Group can help you. He can't fix that you have a crappy reception in your house, which annoys the hell out of me, Zach. Uh, but he could help you find a new house. Uh, the Turner Group with Colin and Amy Turner do an amazing job uh, with having connections throughout the state of Florida. They are skilled uh, veterans of the buying and selling process. The market is ever-changing. You need to have someone that you trust in that process. So uh, if you're considering entering the home buying market, like you want to know what it looks like, if you're thinking about selling, you want to know what that process looks like right now in the state of Florida, 
reach out to Colin Turner of the Turner Group. If you want me to make an introduction for you guys, please send me a DM uh, either over you know, X, uh, Twitter, or uh, on nose247.com, and, and I can hook you guys up. And just, uh, but he's had he's already had someone reach out, and it, it, it was a conversation. He's not going to be a high pressure outfit or anything like that. So uh, Colin is really good, good dude, and uh, very, very, very well respected at what he does. So let's play some buyers to know. Do you want me to take over and ask him, Zach? Sure. Or do you want? Or do you want to do buyers to know? I'll do it. Okay. All right. Buyers to known. FSU doesn't have the recruiting momentum that it should on the trail as it, okay, you wrote this really weird, um, as it <laughs> should on the trail after a 3-0 and start. Nailed it. Also known that, I'll go ahead and start. Also known that, I don't think FSU pushes for recruiting momentum in season quite as much as maybe people want them to. I just think it's the way they go about doing their business. I Plenty of kids are interested in FSU. FSU's done a good job. Now there are positions they could be recruiting better. Maybe you would hope maybe get a, a bump because of your success on the field and the ranking in front of your name. Sure, I'd agree with that. But overall, I saw that. So no hit. Uh, I will buy it. And I'm not, it's not like a, a caveat, like I'm not like super concerned about it right now, but I feel like they didn't get a ton of juice after the LSU game, which feels so long ago at this point, uh, compared to like, Miami after the AM game, FSU beat a better team in a more marquee, like more marquee like time zone, like their only team in the country. And I feel like Miami got a lot more juice out of it. And th- those are two coaching staffs that go about it different ways. Like Miami's recruit, recruit, recruit. Florida State's more long-term relationships and find its moments to kick. So it could be some of it. But even like Florida this past weekend, I feel like got more buzz than what Florida State did uh, after a big win. So to be fair, like FSU is pushing its chips in for late official visits, uh, both in season and, and then obviously in December. So like we might feel that momentum a little bit more later on in the year. But like right now, it doesn't feel like it has the buzz. I would hope it would, given that this is like a top five team nationally. It doesn't doesn't feel that way. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I'll buy. But I don't think it's like a like what you said, Brennan. I don't think it's like a huge, huge deal. But I would just note, like I think, I think Miami and Florida definitely got more buzz off of their wins, and I don't think they were as marquee as as FSU's. How? Like how, right? No, I, I that, guess that's the how one, they go about their business. Well, the one the one difference is they were both home games. FSU didn't have a home game. Their coaches couldn't talk to any of the recruits that okay. were in Orlando for that game. So that could be part of it. Um, and FSU did get some buzz. Like, yeah, I, I have a ton of stuff that I can't even report on yet like as far as like prospects committed elsewhere that are showing a lot of interest in Florida state. And I know everyone on the, the no 24 seven message board is obsessed with one prospect that I brought up a few weeks ago that could potentially visit FSU down the line. My mistake. Hey, you, brought, you brought it yeah, up. My mistake, but there are a number of prospects committed elsewhere that I'm communicating with. And they're letting me know that, you know, a visit to Florida state is, is on the table, um, which wasn't the case before the LSU game. So I definitely think that, FSU is making some momentum behind the scenes with a number of prospects. And I would keep an eye on the three weekends in October, the three home games, um, Syracuse, Virginia tech and Duke Duke as you know, some, some pretty marquee weekends before the, the huge weekend, which is going to be Miami. Um, That's, that's going to be the biggest weekend of, of, you know, in in season visits for Florida State um, throughout the throughout the entire year, and and you know definitely keep an eye on names that show up for that one. But another thing is like Florida State's not 
doing a lot of in-season official visits with 2024 prospects. The only scheduled OV right now that I've been told is LJ McCray for Virginia Tech, the four-star defensive lineman out of Mainland High School. He's the only OV they have on the on the docket right now. The rest of the guys, they're kind of in wait-and-see mode, probably trying to do them after the season. Um, I don't think they're a huge fan of doing in-season OVs. LJ McCray is obviously a, a unique scenario because he wants to make a decision in October, and they have not used their official visit with him yet. Okay, makes sense. Uh, Chris, but real quick, buyers to known uh, a home stretch in October where we're not traveling. I'm here for it. I'm buying that wholeheartedly. I'm getting old, man. This road trips stick with you a little different. Buyers to known the Heisman hype is getting to Jordan Travis. Uh, I will adamantly Sinone that Jordan hasn't played up to, I think, the standard that he would like to play to. Uh, he hasn't played up to the standard that I think we, as people cover Florida State and uh, enjoy watching Florida State as fans, like as the fan base would like. Um, but I don't think it's because he's trying to get Heisman Trophy numbers. I think if there's any level of pressure that he's feeling, I think it's not internal as much as it is like, understand that there's pressure of expectations, I should say, for the team uh, to do very well. And so I think he's keenly aware of that and knows how much kind of hinges on him. Uh, I think, and he said this wasn't a big deal when we talked to him the other day, yet my, my interpretation is I do think he is still trying to figure out the balancing act of keeping his targets happy, his wide receivers happy, the, the amount of high-end talent they have at skill positions trying to keep everyone involved uh, throughout the course of the game. And I think we've seen that manifest itself and him taking some deep shots uh, when there's been some stuff underneath. But I think he's also been directed to like take these deep shots too. And that's also part of what they've been trying to set up the last couple of weeks. And maybe it's building on things to try to put stuff on film or whatever. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I guess I inherently don't think like Jordan Travis, like, oh, I'm trying to pad my stats for to be a Heisman Trophy. Like, I think that narrative is, doesn't, it doesn't jibe with who Jordan Travis is and what we've known of the young man for the last several years. So uh, I will say known that, that it's Heisman hype that that's maybe getting him to play a little, a little less loose than what we've seen in the past. Uh, Chris, what about you? I'm synoning it. I haven't had a single soul in the building mention that to me. And truthfully, I can't think of a single time Jordan's ever actually brought up the Heisman on his own. So uh, Jordan Travis likes to win football games. Like we've dealt with a kid long enough to fully understand who and what he is and what he's made of and how he ticks. He just wants to win and he wants to play well when they win. But like at the end of the day, he just wants that team to win. So also known it. Also known as well. Um, I don't think that's having an impact on his performance. Um, I definitely think, I mean, he says it consistently, like he could have zero yards, zero touchdowns, as long as he's, um, as long as the team's winning, like he's good with it. And and I do think, like, obviously, like, any player wants to have accolades, right? But that's not his primary focus. He wants to win football games. ESPN ran an awesome story on him earlier in the week, you know, talking about kind of his journey from almost quitting. You know, this has been talked about at length, but they had some yeah, really good we, quotes and stuff. We wrote about that too, guys. I love David and Andrea. Okay. You're awesome. Um, We've written about it for – Yeah, but there was, some, there was some really good stuff, like, in there – after the 2021 UF game, he texted the team saying, you know, we're going to lock in and, and you know, make sure that we never feel this way again. And I think that kind of shows, like, his true priorities are 
for this team to to win as many games as possible. And I don't think the Heisman hype uh, is really getting to him. I think more so like the pressure of of you know holding up to the to the preseason expectations maybe um, is is what I would guess. But I don't know. Real real quick, Clemson was the last loss they had last season, right? That was the third. Yeah. In a three game stretch. Afterwards. Okay, so yeah, afterwards he had said that he's kind of sick and tired of that feeling, right? It was it was Wake, NC State, Sandwich in there, Clemson. Afterwards he said he was sick of that feeling, tired of losing. And they haven't lost since. Um, and he kind of went and put his name on it and and said like this is this isn't acceptable. Like we there's no need. It, it, it's about us. Like we do our stuff, handle our business, like we'll be fine. And um, I, I think he's he's led them very well since then. I think this topic has come up because the offense lacks an identity to this point in time. Or maybe the identity is that it's been a shot-based offense that's had a mixed amount of results. They haven't hit shots that they normally – like. Right. He's been, he's had a lower hit rate on shots than he had, did last year, which was really high, and even the year before when he was average at it. like. But if FSU is running the ball at a slightly better tick with more rhythm to it, if they're hitting shots at a slightly better number, which they have a standard of doing so with the current personnel – plus Keon Coleman, plus Shaheen Bell. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, I don't think this topic exists. I think it, it's the best way I can put it. I think this it, is a product of the offense feeling a little eh, discombobulated, as I think Zach said for last weekend's game. I, I don't think it's Jordan Travis trying to win a trophy. The only trophy I think Jordan Travis cares about are bigger ones that are team-oriented, personally. Like, if a Heisman came along because FSU made it there, he'd love it. He'd probably give a phenomenal speech in New York. I don't think he cares about that right now, personally. Buyer Sonone, sponsored by the Turner Group. Cryptic tweets with three football emojis. Sonone in that. I don't love that. I, we've been told that the Keon Coleman stuff wasn't about the three receiving targets that he had, but I just let's uh, um, let's not give fodder to anyone. Like when I thought this team was past that kind of stuff. I'm buying cryptic tweets. I love it. It gives oh, it's it's those a great clickbait generator. Even though we didn't clickbait generate it, but I know sometimes people love to say we just do clickbait. Even though we didn't clickbait generate that. You probably stop analyzing this, Chris. Oh, I'm sorry. Analysis. Buyer Sonone, sponsored by the, the Turner, Turner Group. FSU misses Treshawn Ward wholeheartedly. Bye. He Trayshawn Ward had better vision than anybody that's currently in that running back room. I think that's a fair statement. And FSU hasn't run the ball well, and there's been instances where vision's been an issue part of, partly to it, but it's also been blocking at times. There's plenty of reasons why the running game has yet to find its groove. They they miss Trayshawn. Trayshawn's a great running back. There's a reason he went to K-State and he's being featured and he's doing really well from what I understand and what little bit I've seen of him this season. But, like, I don't think his role would have been any different at FSU. You know, it's funny and it, by that they're missing Treshawn Ward. Uh, but the idea that the running game is struggling and it's not what it needs to be. Like, I don't think anyone is going to push back on, on that. But I will say, like, for context, last year, the first month of the season, let's see, Florida State, like, it took it a while to get going. Last year in August, September, it was averaging 5.53 yards per carry. This year, it is averaging. yards of carry. So it's like not a huge difference. Trey Benson getting going in the second half of the season is what took it from a good running game to an elite one. And he hasn't gotten going yet. And like, that's going to be huge just to get him going 
because that's how your offense becomes elite. And like, I think we know, know what Trey's strengths are and what his weaknesses are. His weaknesses are that he's not a quick cut, natural, like shifty in between the tackles runner. He's a builder. He's someone that when he gets outside, he can get ahead of steam. He's extremely dangerous. He's going to break tackles, as we've seen, like at the highest rate ever <laughs> in the pro football focus there the last decade or so. And he hasn't broken a lot of tackles this year. You miss Treshawn Ward because he was that safety blanket. When things weren't going well, you could trust him to create a modest amount of yards uh, and that ended up making, I'm saying modest, like he ended up leading the ACC in yards per carry uh, the last two years or was in the top two or three. Um, it was really good. But like he, he would find those hidden yards in between the tackles and keep your offense moving. I think Rodney Hill can be some of that. I would like to see more of him. But really why I'm buying this guy is like why I think this is what you're really missing from Treshawn Ward. Chris, you, you saw it twice in the 2021 preseason. Who, who did Treshawn Ward get in fights with? Twice. I mean, in Jacksonville, him and Jermaine Johnson came to blows on a play. I think Treshawn wasn't even in on, if I recall correctly. I think Jermaine popped uh, Jordan Travis at the end of a snap in Jacksonville, kind of gave him a shove. And if I recall, Jordan did a little bit of a barrel roll. And Treshawn didn't like that, so he came after him. Treshawn ran like his life depended on it. And there's a little bit of want to in that. And that room has good dudes in it and guys that play really hard and practice really hard currently. But Treshawn's just a different cat. He's kind of cut a different way. And yeah, that combined with vision is a value that's very tough to replace. Uh, the running game to me is a weird topic. Uh, I know I asked a question to Mike Norvell on Monday about bread and butter plays, and he didn't seem to love that question. But I'm cool he, with that. He didn't. He did not. I like. It was a good answer. I liked his response to it, but he did not love the question. No, he did not. And uh, the running game is, I think, the best way I can describe my view of the running game is it does not feel like it's the dependable thing they can go to to kill the clock, to do what they need to do that you know they can just hit at a high success rate. Is it capable of producing yards and being effective in games? Yes, it is. Does it feel comfortable as something you can lean on? I don't know that I feel that way currently. But, like, we, we saw – I kind of feel that similarly, Chris, but, like, then in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, we did see the LSU second half. They leaned on in the second half, yes. Right up yes. LSU, you know what, to milk the game and kill it. Yeah. Like, against a good defensive front. So it exists. It's there against a really good team, I think... Out of 12 I mean, quarters, how many quarters have you felt like, man, they ran the ball well, though? To me, it's like maybe three, maybe six. four. I was going to say four or five, maybe six. Um, yeah. In Southern Miss, they ran it really well in the second half. Uh, so four quarters. BC, they didn't run it particularly well at all. 3.8 yards a carry. Yeah, four, I guess. And some of that's also the O-line's actual initial push at the line of scrimmage. It hasn't been particularly good. It's, it's actually I – mean, and it's like not – there's a lot of noise in these numbers too, but like they're averaging more yards per carry before contact this year than they did last year. Against like – I think LSU is a is a top-tier defensive front. Uh, I think Boston College is a solid power five defensive front, and I think that Southern Miss is a good G5 one. Um so I don't know, but like not all like you know yards per carry are created equal too. Like, are you getting isolated with a safety? You're getting isolated with a cornerback. Like, those are different things, I guess. But it's still being built. You're still trying to find continuity. I do think you miss Maurice Smith, and I think Darius Washington has blocked his ass off. He's been really, really good uh, as a center. But we, you don't replace Maurice being the point guard of the, the offensive line, basically, like in, in just a couple games. So I, I think it's still building. I think they're trying to establish their identity on offense uh, with the run game. Sorry, Zach, this has been uh, a long and winding road to say, like, yeah, Trayshawn Ward would be 
helpful right now. And I think he's, I think he's a badass and he brought a little chip and a little edge to that running back room. And I think FSU missed that edge, especially against Boston college on, on Saturday. Let's get one last Byerson own in brought to you by Turner group. Thank you. Byerson own Jared verse is actually playing well, despite zero sacks. 100% a buy. You can't watch the BC game and not think Jared Burris played well. He was disruptive. In a game where FSU did not act aggressively towards quarterbacks, Jared Burris was still good at it. But um, people did watch the BC game and thought he didn't play well. Which I don't, I don't get. I, think I thought did. in real time he looked really good, and then in watching it again, I thought he looked pretty good. The, the sacks will come if he keeps playing as he is. My main concern with the D-line is that Jared Burris is demanding a lot of attention which should free others up, especially the guy playing the opposite bookend, and it has not been a particularly strong place for FSU. Patrick Payton hasn't played well. If we want to pick on a D end, uh, you know, no offense, Pat, but like he can play better than he's played. Playing the, the pass rush grades per PFF, and Jared has a 72.8, but I think there's a lot of noise in that one because he's getting chipped, and uh, teams are keenly aware of where Jared versus. Uh, Patrick Payton's at a 63.3, just Pretty pedestrian. Gilbert Edmond, your third defensive end, at a 56.8. And Braden Fisk, a guy who we had a lot of high hopes for as a pass rusher, and he's had a couple pressures, has had some flashes, 62.1 PFF grade. So those are like all replacement level type of grades other than Jared, who's above average. Uh, they're playing scrambling quarterbacks in two out of three games, and then Southern Miss had a, a very quick trigger uh, type of offense to where you probably weren't going to get a ton of, of pressure. So like – Jared Verse took over that BC game for stretches, and he did it in a variety of ways. It wasn't just rushing the pass. It was stopping the run. It was hustle plays, effort plays. Um, I'm not worried. I am I forget what the prompt was, Zach, but I, whatever the one that is encouraging for Jared Verse's performance, I think he's been very good. I think he's been what you need him to be. You need other guys, to Chris's point, to, to step up. To tie that into the Clemson game, Clemson's allowed only three sacks this season. They've allowed 12 tackles for loss. They've played two different O-lines. Uh, same group at three spots for all three games, and then they've rotated a couple of spots. Yeah, but, but all but in they, all, their O line's pretty well experienced. They they have an experienced offensive line. I don't feel like like they they get rid of the ball so quickly. I don't think you're gonna get a ton of sacks unless you can get ahead and play put them in a lot of like passing down stuff. Their pressure rate of 31 percent allowed is 73rd nationally. And given that they've played a pretty Duke has some good defense alignment, but they've played a pretty light schedule so far. That's not great. So, but FSU's pressure rate on defense, I got this pulled up. FSU's pressure rate on defense is 27.9%. That's 105th nationally. Like that, that's not acceptable. That has to be better for you to be where you want to be. Like you can't be in the hundreds with Jared Verse out there. Like there needs to be more production. Agreed. Um, aggressiveness. You would like to see more aggressiveness because I'd energy. like to see more aggressiveness. Energy. I need to see. I just need to see my guys. I I just need to see the defensive line whoop the ass of the offensive line across for it. And that's totally in their arsenal. It's there. If they want to blitz and get after the quarterback, great. I don't think you have to. I think you went with four consistently with this group, but group has to has to do it now. Like quit playing peekaboo and looking around guys and actually that I would barrel like to through them and get around. Let's just yeah, let's let Braden Fist just go get someone. Yeah. See ball, get ball. All right, guys, it's time to make some predictions. But first, predictions are brought to you by the battle's end. Oh, wow. Or State's leading collective. If you like being a road favorite at Clemson, support the battle's end. Fellas, I guess I'll go with Brendan first. Oh What's God, your I, prediction for this game? 
I really haven't thought like much about it, to be totally honest. Like I know I wrote it down in the script for us to do, but that was the first I've thought about it. And I've been talking for the last hour since then. I don't know, guys. I I really don't feel like great going up there. I, I think FSU is a more talented team. Uh, it's interesting. I think your strengths kind of match up with some of their weaknesses uh, and then vice versa. Um, so like, if this is the if this is the second half team against LSU, they're going to come out and, and whoop ass and, and win by a couple of scores. But I could also see like them coming out flat because I think that they've shown that they can do that as well uh, in that environment and and maybe lose by a score or ten points or something like that. Um, I will go with I'm going to do an emotional hedge here because it's going to be a long car ride up and it's going to be a long car ride back and I, I need the emotional hedge uh, for this. I think Clemson is going to pull it together and win 31 to 28. I have FSU losing. And this is, wow. this is the only game I thought FSU would lose going into the year from a win percentage standpoint. I, I will stand by that. Clemson's not as good as I thought. FSU's a little bit better, but I'm still shook from, from this past week. So I don't feel great about that. I have FSU winning 31 to 29. I'm taking the over in points, but I'm taking Clemson with the two and a half. There. He's taking the BC score. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Let's do it again. Yeah. I think oh. FSU's offense is wholeheartedly capable of doing some damage to Clemson. My concern from an FSU standpoint is basically Will Shipley creating leverage situations that cause FSU's defense to get discombobulated. And we have some repeats of what we've seen at bad times this year. So that that's what has been concerned. I do think it's very much largely a coin flip football game and I, I thought that going into the year and I still kind of feel that way but I do think FSU is better of the two offenses I think Clemson's probably slightly or at least definitely playing better of the two defenses so far but yeah I, I think it's a coin flip type game FSU 31-29 yeah Chris and I are kind of inverted but like I think we're thinking similarly just a, a field goal difference the other way what, what would surprise you Chris like what outcome would legitimately because not a lot Clemson, Clemson blowing FSU out would surprise me FSU Same. blowing no. Clemson out would not surprise me FSU if they play like they did the second half of LSU can beat the ever-loving crap out of, L, of Clemson but I don't know what version of FSU we will get and if we'll get it for a quarter if we'll get it for a half if we'll get it for four quarters I don't know what to expect in that expect in that regard and I don't know if FSU knows what to expect. At some point, FSU, I think, is going to evolve into their best selves. I don't know when that evolution comes for them. What about you, Zach? I think it comes this weekend. I have them winning 35-31. So they'll cover the spread. And right. over. Yeah. And well I over. Think, uh, yeah, I think we, we see these offenses shine more than the defenses. Um, you know, I'm not... I'm not super high on what FSU's done so far on defense, um, aside from a few quarters. And then, you know, I think Clemson's defense hasn't really been tested by elite talent yet. And I think they will this weekend. So, yeah, I have a, a high-scoring affair, but I think Florida State comes out on top. I'm interested from a clock perspective how this game plays. Because I think Clemson, at their strength of their offense, is a run team with Shipley and Moffa. And FSU, I think, tries to run at Clemson. We saw them have success with that in the second half of the Clemson game last year. I think there's an effort maybe by FSU to do that. So I'm just interested how much the two teams, by going about their business like that, shorten the game. Clemson's also a high first down offense team in the sense of producing a lot of first downs. 
lot of that's because they don't exactly make a lot of vertical throws. Yeah, I, I think their throws over 20, they have, uh, what, 10 through three games, I think is what it is. And then obviously like 10 and under, they have 46. So yeah, compare those numbers, kind of look at it. I, I think it's one of those games where the clock might keep moving. I'm interested if it kind of gets shortened up, feels more like an NFL game from a possession standpoint than necessarily a college game. FSU is like their success rate on early downs on defense isn't great. I think FSU's at, I'm pulling it up. It's the CFB graphs. Uh, I think it's their EPA. No, sorry, it's just their success rate. They're 93rd nationally on first and second down with success rate on defense, whereas Clemson's offense is 12th nationally with 76.3%. Some of that FSU allows, like, with the two eye looks a lot of the time, will allow some of that early on to play for third downs. Yeah, um, FSU had actually really been good on third down till last week. Last week killed those yeah. numbers for them. Yeah, I think they've allowed the most uh, yards on third down of any Power Five team in the country. But again, that's not that's not typical. Uh, it hasn't always been a strength, but it hasn't been that glaring of a weakness either. So we'll see. But will the real Florida State please stand up? I think we're we're kind of entering that territory this week. Awesome. Good job, Zach. That was a nice three-second delay with you to say awesome with the mic half off. Great job. Nailed it. You're so nice. I can't wait until the here on time you can today. start being uh, you know, less on edge. I'm just glad I got back on the reels. I was yeah, struggling you were, there. You were wild, the man. I the whole was. Draper family and everything. Uncle Draper. <laughs> Mazel tov. For Zach Blostein. Brendan Sinone and Chris Nee, this was on the bench. Thanks for listening. Give us some five-star reviews. We'll see you next week. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.